Yo, Chad, what if I told you there's a platform that could completely revolutionize your hiring strategy in a matter of hours? Yeah, I'd call bullshit. Well, it's not bullshit with AI for jobs powered by our friends at This Way Global. Okay, I'm listening. Uh, While everyone else is fishing in the same old talent pools, AI for Jobs can source over 160 million diverse candidate profiles. This Way Global has established unique partnerships with over 8,500 trusted diversity partners. So wait a minute. All of the hard on-the-ground work is already done. That's right, Cowboy. You can discover 300 qualified candidates per job rack instantly. Wow. It's like having a candidate sourcing magic wand. (laughs) Dude, if you had a magic wand, you would have Mexican pizzas all day. Mm. Uh, Stop distracting me, Sowash. AI for Jobs Advanced Matching Algorithm analyzes past applicants using trillions of historical matching events and over 1,600 data points. Now that is what AI should be doing, saving recruiters time on sourcing while they provide a white glove candidate experience. Let's wrap this shit up. I'm hungry. Listen up, kids. Revolutionize your hiring process today by jumping over to thiswayglobal.com and checking out AI for Jobs, where you can learn more about how to leverage AI for your recruiting instead of just writing poems and grocery lists. That is thiswayglobal.com. We out. Hide your kids. Lock the doors. You're listening to HR's most dangerous podcast. Chad Sowash and Joel Cheeseman are here to punch the recruiting industry right where it hurts. Complete with breaking news, brash opinion, and loads of snark. Buckle up, boys and girls. It's time for the Chad and Cheese Podcast. Oh, yeah. What's up, everybody? It's your favorite guilty pleasure, a.k.a. the Chad and Cheese Podcast. I'm your co-host, Joel Cheeseman, joined as always the road to my wade, Chad Sowash. Yes. And today we are just giddy to welcome Dr. Tana M. Session, an award-winning consultant, speaker, performance coach, best-selling author, and so much more. Dr. Tana, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Joel and Chad. I'm so honored and excited to be here today. We're excited to have you. This is this. Let's is ask a, her again at the end. <laughs> She's still happy. Yeah, yes, yes, yeah. yeah, yeah. Let's do that. Well, this is a, this is a great topic. But before we get to that, you know, what did Joel miss in his intro? Tell us a little bit about Tana. Sure. Um, so over thirty years of human resources experience, and ten of those as the head of HR for different organizations, and been in the diversity space since two thousand and seven, when the first millennials started graduating and entering the workforce. <laughs> so I had to wrap my head around that new workforce very quickly. And I live here in Los Angeles with my husband and have two grown sons. So we've been empty nesters since 2013, which allowed us to take a sabbatical. So last year we took a month off and traveled through five countries of Africa. And this year we took two months off and traveled through eight countries of Africa. So we touched all four corners, plus the very southern, the most southern tip of Africa. We were able to go and touch it. Excellent. Excellent. Do you have a a good wilderness story? Something on the plains? Oh, yeah. a good bug fight. Was there any sort of lion takedown that you got to see? I saw so much. Yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was mating season for the lions, so we caught them on their honeymoon. And oh, for over, over a course of seven days, they, they go at it. <laughs> 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 yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Over a course of seven days, they go at it about eight times a day. So we got to see six of those times. <laughs> oh, dang. 
And we also got to see two water buffaloes fighting it out for dominance over the herd. And we watched the fight for 30 minutes and they were still going at it. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Fighting and dancing in Africa. That is amazing. If I needed a better excuse to go visit Africa. What's your favorite area of Africa? If you go back and you only Uh, had like a week to spend, where would you go? Zanzibar in Tanzania. Mm-hmm. And why? The beach is by far one of the best. I always create my vacations around beaches. Yes. I'm Amen. a water person. I'm an Aquarius. So I'm a water person. And that Indian Ocean, uh, when you see the low tide where you can go walk out into the middle of the ocean for about six hours a day, it's just unreal. Like wow. something out of a movie. And it's just a beautiful country and beautiful people. Yes, I am. I am excited. Uh, my the first place that I want to go is Morocco. We actually just oh, bought yeah. a place in Portugal, just right across. Uh, right, yep. so we want we want to hit that. But Zanzibar, I, that's on the list now. Yeah. Well, we just actually just left Morocco, so we were there nice. for yeah, we were there for five days, I think it was, and toured three different cities. Excellent. Excellent. Chad's going to start with just the tip. He's going to eat that too. That's what we do. That's what we do here. Okay. <laughs> Frame it up, Cheeseman. By the way, Dr. Tana hasn't heard our show before, so she's going to be the. Uh, I'm a virgin. With, she's going to hit with a lot of stuff. We'll we'll try to be gentle. Okay, so it's going to be the pack of lions happening. <laughs> well, anyway, not going there. Based on what we just heard about the lions. All right, so we're here to talk about uh, abortion. A legal precedent was recently overturned. I want you because you are more more abreast of this issue than we are. You're the expert. Set the table for our listeners. What happened? What's the current state of, of what's going on? And particularly, we're talking about companies and the sort of where they're on the line, on which side or dancing on the line or how that's working out from a corporate perspective, because our audience is mainly employers, recruiters and business folks. So we can take it back to the um, original case of Roe v. Wade, where the Supreme Court decided that a woman had a right to basically own health care choices, which included the right to um, abortion. And what happened in 2022 was, well, it's been on the docket for quite some time, but what happened in 2022 was that the Supreme Court heard the case again based on a current uh, lawsuit, and they decided that they needed to return the right to the states. And so what they felt was the overall opinion was that the previous Supreme Court had an overreach and making this uh, basically a federal law, and they've now turned it back over to the states. So with that, individual states, all 50, 51 of them, are now able to decide whether or not they want to have this as a a codified law or if they want to change it in some way. And many of them took the chance to change it or eliminate it. And company's response was uh, interesting, to say the least. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I mean, some companies chose not to make any statements at all, but there were some that were very bold in their statements very quickly, which you know proved that, A, they were paying attention to this, and hopefully HR was behind that uh, with the executives, the C-suite. And, and some of them came forward and said, hey, look, we have employees that are going to be negatively impacted based on where they live. And as a result, we want to extend or offer additional benefits so that this won't be a detriment to them. Uh, and other st- uh, companies said, we'll have a comment, right? So mm-hmm. we're going to leave it up to the individual and their mm-hmm. medical professional to decide how this should be handled. And I know we here in Indiana, Eli Lilly is a major employer here in the state. And I know they had even sort of alluded to the fact that they may have to open up shop in other states in order to sort of recruit and retain top talent. So that was another sort of initiative that a lot of companies took in light of this uh, in this this law. Yeah, it definitely happened. A lot of companies based in Texas were very quick to say that as well. You take, take a look at just companies. And again, 
they're kind of like toeing the line. Some of them are saying nothing. They're being incredibly silent and some are actually speaking up. And, and according to Yale and their their workforce analysis, they had a, a group of companies that they call pretty much early adopters and tech companies uh, were major supporters. Uh, 30% of companies that offer travel support for the tech sector where the the average age of tech workers in the U.S. are are 35. 17% of companies were providing travel support in finance and 12% in the professional services. But here's the problem. The early movers only represent 101 companies. And only nine of those companies are headquartered in red states. So to me, this feels more like political pandering than support. What what are your thoughts around this? Yeah, I agree with you. And, you know, I'm I'm hoping that it's not performative, right? And and that's my concern. Like, even with some of my clients I've been talking to about this since this got overturned last late last summer to ensure that whatever statement they make, A, they're willing to commit to it. And this for the long term, it's not something that's knee jerk or something that they feel they have to put out there, you know, just because their competitors have done something similar. So my hope is, and those numbers are concerning, my hope is that more companies over the time uh, have started to consider, you know, what type of benefits do they want to offer their employees so that they aren't negatively impacted. So when it comes down to it, from a company standpoint, we know, you know, travel support is important, right? But to me, it feels just like it's a Mm Band-Aid. So what can companies do aside of moving out of the state? Yeah, well, one of the things that I think would be helpful is the healthcare provider. So whoever their insurance is through, let's say their insurance is through Anthem. I'm just going to throw a name out there, Anthem. Don't be upset with me. Um, (laughs) But let's say it's Anthem. Working with their healthcare provider to see what, if any, additional coverages they can offer their employees that, again, is long-term sustainable, that still falls under HIPAA protection where the employee's private business doesn't have to be exposed to the company and that they can freely utilize this benefit, you know, in the privacy of, you know, their own health care. So I think that's one of the first things to do is to really partner with the healthcare providers to see what, if any, additional benefits or extension of benefits they can offer. And those healthcare providers may be limited as well based on, you know, the law, based on where they're based, you know, all of those different things. So it's somewhat of a ripple effect. But I think the conversation needs to start there. And I do agree with you. I think the travel benefits is a band-aid, but it's a start, right? So you may have employees that need to leave Texas to come to California, let's say, you know, in order to perform a legal abortion. My only concern with that is who do they notify? Who's involved in that decision-making process? Mm -hmm. Is it taxable income? Do they have to report it somehow? You know, it's like so many questions that unfolds with that. That's yeah, that's amazing. And what about the states that don't allow travel? Right. I mean, there are states that do not allow travel. So it seems like the individual and prospectively the company, their their hands could be tied. Is that pretty much the feeling right now? Yeah. But I mean, the federal law has come out basically and said, look, can't stop employees or individuals from crossing state lines, even for medical care. So where this ends up in court is yet to be determined. But that was their counter to ensuring that employees did have the right to travel across state lines if necessary. And it's been reports that that has happened right over the last, you know, plus six months. So I don't think that that's going to permanently stop. What my concern is are neighbors courting on other neighbors or employees reporting or ratting out another employee because they get wind of the fact that this person took time off and, you know, came to California to get an abortion. So Mm -hmm. it's kind of like turning people against each other from that perspective, especially when they have a bounty out, which is what I call that reward. They have a bounty out of up to $10,000 in some states. Michael Jordan famously said uh, Republicans buy tennis shoes as well in regards to whether why he wasn't more 
politically active or, or verbal, and, and he still sort of takes that stance. My question is, companies who do come out, why do you think they do? Is it recruiting, retention? Is it just a good headline? Is it virtue signaling? Do some, like, what percentage really do feel the way that they do? Are you cynical about this, or do you think that, that it's genuine? I am cautiously optimistic, much like I was back in summer of 2020 when a lot of companies made statements about Black Lives Matter and, you know, wanting to be supportive of their Black and Brown employees and, you know, putting all these promises out there. Mm -hmm. Some have followed through with those promises. Some are still along the, the tailwind of following through and others fell off the radar. Right. So I could see this being the same case here, especially, again, when politics do get involved, because you have companies that either donate to certain political parties or perhaps receive some lobbying from certain political parties. So there is a certain sense of self-preservation, I think, in some cases with these companies where they can't necessarily be so aggressive in their statements or their promises to employees. The ones that have been, I feel like, you know, it's kind of like throwing caution to the wind. It is about retention. It is about, you know, being able to uh, recruit and hire the best talent because it is still a competitive labor market right now. Yeah. And ultimately wanting the employees to feel that this is a place where they can be psychologically safe, uh, where they can feel completely inclusive, that they can be their true authentic selves, all the things that fold into diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging as well, right? This is part of that. Part of that in terms of equity is ensuring that you have benefits that are equitable for all employees. I appreciate the the optimism. <laughs> cautious, cautious optimism. Cautious optimism. <laughs> and the, the election that we just had here recently in the yeah. U.S., yeah. I'm guessing helps support that optimism. Talk about the red wave that didn't happen, the voting block of abortion rights activists that came out to maybe create that wave and into a ripple or not much of anything. Uh, I assume you were emboldened by the election. Talk about that that night. Yeah, I try not to pay too much attention to it, only because we were getting ready to go to Africa. So my husband and I <laughs> mailed in our ballots here in California. We were like, you know, we're out. Whatever happens, happens, right? Yeah. But it was we were pleasantly surprised. And I think when you think about the workforce, first of all, let's talk about the new group of people who are eligible to vote, 18 year olds. Gen Z. Gen Z are the most culturally, ethnically, and socially diverse group to ever enter the workforce. And 18-year-olds are empowered and emboldened by the mistakes of the previous generations. And I think mm -hmm. Roe v. Wade pissed them off. And I think that yeah. they are much more vocal about these types of things. And they speak truth to power. And what they did was they used their vote to do that. I also think about the, the Gen Z and, and Gen Y and Gen Z workforce. They're over 50% of the workforce. So those are the childbearing ages of employees, right? I'm 53. I'm no longer thinking about childbearing. I'm not even thinking about grandparents. Stop. Grand, you are not 53. I will be Get 54 next month. I'm proud no, to say. Stop. You look amazing. <laughs> not a day you know over what they 30. say. Black don't crack. <laughs> I'm not going to say it. <laughs> I'll say it. <laughs> Black does not crack. But no, when I, you know, a part of that I felt was this next generation of the workforce speaking truth to power, and they used their vote to do so. They were angry. They were upset. They were appalled. They questioned why this was never a codified law. Mm -hmm. And so they used their vote to make certain that the right people got in office that would protect their rights. And that was for men and women within those groups. Yeah. Yeah. So Joel had a, uh, a quote. I'm going to go ahead and use a quote too. Oh boy. This is one Joel's going to love because even the <laughs> monster, even the monster himself, Milton Friedman wrote in 
1970, an article where he acknowledges that, quote, it may well be in the long-term interest of a corporation to devote resources to providing amenities to the community or to improving its government. That may make it easier to attract desirable employees. Uh, now, even, even the ultra-monster uh-huh. capitalist Milton Friedman understood that if you don't take care of your people and your community, that profits won't... Because ha- Milton Friedman didn't give two shits about anything but profits, right? right? So if he's talking about this and the he's people. talking about mm-hmm. profits, exactly. Why aren't more, quote-unquote, capitalist organizations actually focused on taking care of the people because they know it's going to lead to more profits. Yeah. I mean, that's the question of all time, right? And especially me being in HR for as long as I have been, that was always one of the arguments I had sitting across the table from, you know, the C-suite executives, especially CFOs and CEOs, helping them understand the importance of taking care of their people. Because if you don't take care of your people, they're not going to take care of your customers or clients and you won't receive the profit, right? And so your investors are going to be upset, your shareholders, your board, again, ripple effect. So helping them understand that and giving it to them in, in, you know, data and metrics that they can wrap their heads around because that's what they pay attention to is the dollars and the percentages so that they understand that ultimately this is driven by the people that work here. And yes, there's some that feel like people are replaceable. Uh, you should be thankful you have a job, like all of those things I've heard over the years. And still to yeah. this day, people are still say, saying and feeling, but it costs money to lose employees. It costs money to hire employees. So helping them understand, and this is where HR can really have that influence and that seat at the table is to break that down for them in a way that helps them understand that if we don't provide the right benefits that are equitable to all employees, and this is the workforce that we're dealing with here, ultimately these individuals are going to leave because they'll find someone who will provide those benefits Mm. and they will have to start this whole process over again. So there's going to be production downtime, quality downtime, customers and clients are going to be negatively impacted. And ultimately, we're not going to see the numbers you're looking for. Yeah, yeah. Well, we've seen where uh, Amazon's actually done research where they are burning through the workforce in some of the areas where they have locations. Now, let's get it to women in the workforce. Now, we've had problems getting women back into the workforce after the pandemic. Do you feel like some companies are using pro-row stances to lure female talent back into those open roles? Or maybe they should do more of that. I mean, if they're smart, they could use that as one of their tools, right? Mm-hmm. To to put that out there and say, hey, A, it's awareness. B, we care. And C, we're going to do what we can to protect you as an employee and, and protect your HIPAA rights as well. So that way, you know, we're not all up in your business. But yeah, I mean, during the pandemic, we lost over 2 million women out of the workforce. Many of them were, you know, frontline employees. And part of the attraction now is how do we get them back in, right? How do we make it a place that is desirable, um, that's flexible, that meets their needs as caregivers, like all of those factors. And part of being a caregiver is caring for themselves. And if they don't have the benefits that they need in order to do that so that they can make the right decisions for themselves and their families, then that's a negative for the company. So I think they have to think about the full life cycle of their female employees. And we can't leave out trans women as well because they are also impacted by this as well as trans men. So are enough companies taking a stand? I would say no. But if there was a wave, what do you think that could prospectively do to the actual talent coming back to work? Do you think that would actually spur females back to work? We saw the the women's march, right? It was like when when something happens that has impact, there's a reaction. We saw from the not red wave, there was impact. Do you think that companies actually in wave coming to 
support women would actually get them back into the workforce. Because to be quite frank, that's incredibly important for our economy. Yeah, it absolutely is, because women tend to spend more of their income back into the communities than men through taking care of their households. So I think, yes, now are enough companies doing it? Probably not. I also don't think that should be the only banner that they wave. Again, I think they need to think about the full life cycle. And flexibility is another piece of that. So what women realized during uh, the pandemic from 2022 up till now is that not having to come into the office five days a week has also been an area that's important to them. It has helped them to be viable, contributing members of the workforce. And companies that are adamant about people being back in the office five days a week, I think are missing the mark there, in particular with these women who have caregiving responsibilities. They've proven that they could be just as productive, if not more, and in many cases more, and put in more work hours without being paid for them as a result of having that flexibility. Okay, listener, how can you help your employees become more productive? I have answers. How about automating manual and repetitive tasks, giving meaning to data, then allowing that data to actually drive decisions. And how about matching people to your jobs quicker? Well, wait, the Chad and Cheese has a new LLM? No, Cheeseman. I'm talking about text kernel. Ah, okay. That makes more sense. What I'm hearing is the groundbreaking concept of, wait for it, Yeah. simplicity. <laughs> Seriously, though, seriously, text kernel cuts through the complexities like a tortilla chip through some hot nacho cheese. Oh, my God. Really? Nacho references already. Anyways, text Uh kernel brings efficiency and productivity to your operations. Text kernel seamlessly unifies your tools and data to drive efficiencies and success. Text kernel is creating new opportunities for your recruitment journey. Kind of like adding guac to my barbacoa burrito. Oh, my God. How about extracting meaningful insights from data? I mean, that that's something. Swiftly matching yeah. people with jobs. Automating repetitive tasks. Who knew such advanced concepts were even possible in the land of human resources? Uh, we did, Chad. We did. Dude, wrap it up. I'm a little hungry. Imagine that. Uh, okay, listener. Get ready to use today's tech to drive efficiencies and productivity. Visit textkernel.com. That's T-E-X-T-K-E-R-N-E-L.com. Mmm, nachos. <laughs> Are you struggling to attract the talent you need today? Do you lack visibility into where your recruitment ad dollars are really going? there's a better way. Acquire ROI is a programmatic job advertising platform built to optimize your budget and supercharge hiring. Acquire ROI automatically manages and measures recruitment ads across job boards so you can allocate your budget based on insights, not hunches. Get to quality candidates faster and cost-effectively scale hiring across roles, all while gaining complete visibility and control over your recruitment marketing investments. Say goodbye to manual guesswork, inconsistent performance, and wasted spending. And hello to optimized automated campaigns that produce qualified applicants. At Acquire ROI, we make job advertising easy. Visit us at acquireroi.com and start transforming your talent acquisition today. All right, doctor, I gave you reason for optimism in my last (laughs) question. I'm going to give you reason for pessimism in this question. Go woke, go broke is a popular saying on the right, uh, the conservative sector with certain movies, shows, et cetera, that are 
left left leaning failing or doing poorly. They're at the box office or in sales. You've had Bob Iger, who recently took back control of yep. Disney, saying he's going to turn the temperature down a little bit on uh, on the culture issues. For companies that are looking at that and saying, oh, we don't want to get into that. That's a little scary. We don't want to take that step. What would you tell them to help embolden them around this issue of abortion rights? Well, first, I would say they need to understand that woke has been weaponized by the right. And so what I mean by that is when we refer to woke, we being Black people, brown people, people who are interested in true diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging, what we mean is that we are aware that there are certain systemic institutional barriers to success for certain groups in society, uh, mostly marginalized groups. And so what we're saying is by recognizing that these are the changes that need to occur, they don't have to happen right now, but they need to at least be under consideration with some sort of action behind it so it's not performative. And when I think about that and I think about the weaponization of, of woke, uh, I think companies are leaning into fear versus understanding. So people fear what they don't understand. Right. And so without having real qualitative and quantitative conversations with their employees, their investors, the communities in which they serve to understand what particular barriers they as a company have in place, whether it's through policy and procedure, through how they recruit, who they recruit, how they pay, who they pay, who they promote, all of these different factors that come into play. And if they don't have a true place of psychological safety for all employees, then have that conversation and not be afraid of leaning into where they can improve. And so some companies have done a very good job at that over the last two and a half years. And again, I'm still somewhat cautiously optimistic they're going to continue to do so. I think what's going to drive the behavior of these organizations are Gen Y and Gen Z, especially the younger Gen Y and now Gen Z, because they have zero tolerance for inequity. They have zero tolerance for any type of bias, racism, discrimination. And again, they're not afraid to speak truth to power, whereas my generation, we kind of went along to get along. I'm Gen X. Digging a little bit into that on the on the CEO level, and I found it really interesting. Uh, Logan Green, who's the CEO of Lyft, ride sharing service, which most of our listeners, I'm sure, know, received a letter from Texas legislators after he tweeted that the company would cover costs for employees who had to travel more than 100 miles for an abortion, saying it would. Uh, the legislators said it was a violation of a 1925 statute that prohibits facilitating abortions. What advice would you give CEOs? In taking stances like this, what would you have advised him to reply to the state in this this uh, this law? Yeah, that's a challenging question because I'm not familiar with that statute, so I would want to read it and see what's in there. By the way, I'm in law school, that's my first semester, well, second semester now. So uh, there's that. But I would want to see what the statute says um, before yeah. I advise them. But just taking it at its surface, I would challenge them with proving how the statute negatively impacts the employees there. And that may be the challenge that the legislators, of course, they will try um, to debate. And, you know, go point by point by the different elements of that statute to say where we're out of mm -hmm. compliance as a company to offer this to staff. And then also referring back to the federal law uh, that they put in place as kind of a band-aid until this goes to you know, mm -hmm. court to say you can't stop an employee from crossing state lines under any condition. I assume you would agree FUD, fear, uncertainty and doubt is going to be a weapon by the states to scare CEOs uh, into this action. At what point do the lawyers get involved? I think they should get involved immediately. <laughs> you I know? guarantee you they are. Yeah. <laughs> I'm which, sure. Which I companies don't so. want to go there, right? Yeah. If they don't have to, but 
That seems yeah. like a, a certainty as we move on with this. Yeah, I think much like talking to their healthcare providers, they should also be talking to an employment lawyer. And remember, this is all fluid, right? Because it's still new. The laws haven't caught up with what's happening. Yes. You know, we're waiting for certain cases to come out to mandate, you know, how the law will be applied. So I'm sure the courts are flooded with these types of things right now. And as well as attorneys, they're going through all the books trying to find, you know, statutes or certain cases that they could use to either refute or um, confirm, you know, what is being said by a legislator. So mm-hmm. I think it's because it's so fluid is to me, especially being in law school is somewhat exciting, but it's also frustrating. I, I have to applaud your cautious optimism because <laughs> I am definitely a cautious pessimist with regard to this. And, and the reason being <laughs> is as we take a look at, at this, this situation, which is horrible, right? Taking away women's rights is ridiculous. But if you take a look at corporate America, we have huge wage inequity. We haven't been transparent. We've been horrible with DEIB. We spend billions of dollars every year for no outcomes and really no bumping of the needle whatsoever. So I, I guess since there is some optimism behind you, why do you think and, and why are you optimistic that these slow profiteering organizations even give two shits what happens to their employees in the first place? Well, I think the proof's in the pudding. So when I think about certain, like I have sometimes clients will say, well, what companies are getting it right? I think there's companies that's on the right track. No one's checked the box yet, right? And it's yeah. ever evolving, ever changing. So we'll never get to a point where we say, ooh, we've completed diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. <laughs> it's always going to be here. So just wrapping right. their heads around that, that this is part of your strategy is not going anywhere. Just like your mm-hmm. financial strategy, your people strategy, you have to have a DEIB strategy. And then the part that I think keeps me somewhat optimistic is because there are companies that understand that there is an impact. Now, can you say dollar for dollar return on investment? Perhaps, perhaps not, depending on the industry, depending on how you're tracking these metrics. You know, I tell people always look at, again, your recruiting and where you're hiring from, look at who stays with the company, look at who's being promoted and why they're being promoted. Yes, pay equity is important as well. That's one of the first things to look at. And I like the fact that a lot of states now are saying you have to be transparent, like New York and California, because I think that's going to help. It's going to take time. And that's the thing I tell my clients. This is a journey. It's not uh, a sprint. It's truly a marathon. So you have to be in it for the long run and you have to be happy with the low hanging wins. And you have to know that there are going to be certain things that will have a much longer runway. And those things, as long as you're paying attention to them, you'll start seeing some traction. You'll start seeing some success. But also the important part of it is communicating back out to the employees mm-hmm. where you are, what successes you've had. Um, talk about your journey. Talk about where you started. And then where you are now, I think that's a huge piece of the the story as well to tell. So pay transparency, at least salary transparency, making sure that the salary is transparent on the job or hopefully we'll get to pay transparency for the actual, you know, the the entire population. But that seems to have a big wave right now. And it's it's front and center. There's actually, you know, there's legislation that's hitting the books. We've had Oregon that was already there. We've got California, New York, and we've got little uh, New York City. We've got little uh, New Jersey here and there. So it's starting to pop up all over the place. Do you think that this could actually help the wave of these other employee-focused initiatives that we really need to focus on where it it catches the wave as opposed to being their own singular waves? I hope so. So what I usually do is I look to see what I'm from New York originally. Uh, So I look to see what New York is doing in California because they're, you know, opposite ends of the country, and they tend to follow each other. 
So, you know, New York kind of put it out there first and California went into effect this month. And so I think what will happen is as companies, again, are in this tight labor market and they're starting to either lose employees or possible recruits, they'll understand that this is something that the people are asking for. Again, Gen Y and Gen Z, I applaud them because they're the ones that are asking those hard questions. And I have clients that tell me all the time, like, oh, they ask me questions I've never been asked before. Because they are aware, they do their research, they know, again, what's fair and equitable, and they want to make certain that they don't make the mistakes of the generations prior to them. And Mm. that includes starting with pay. Straight out of college, they're asking these questions. So I would hope that the way will, again, it'll be a slow process, and there'll be some states that just will never come along. But within those states, I think there will be companies that will. Okay. So that being said, you have a company like Netflix who actually just put out the pay range of 60,000 to 385,000 for a position. So they're playing games, but that, that I think demonstrates that corporate America, you know, they're going to do everything they can to fight these regulations. So, so once again, cautious optimism, do you think the, the government enforcement will beat that back? Uh, or do you do you feel like uh, it's just, again, this is just the start of a very long journey? I think it's the start of a very long journey. I think a lot of these companies are doing what they have to do to be in compliance. And yes, they're giving these very broad ranges. I, I did peek through my email, saw some of these stories come out while I was away. But I think as lawsuits start to happen, they'll have to change that very quickly. So what will happen is what I see is a potential employee not getting a job or being offered a salary that they feel is within the range. And Mm -hmm. they're going to talk to someone who's in that same job, doing the same duties, same or very similar background. And they're going to find out they were underpaid, right? Lawsuit. (laughs) And so even though they were compliant and they posted the range, now they have to justify why I wasn't paid the same amount as my peer Mm -hmm. who's doing the exact same job, same background, similar background, education, experience, and qualifications. I think that's what's going to really help push the needle in terms of making those ranges more realistic and um, and fair and equitable to potential employees and current employees. Coming back to the, the abortion issue again real quick, we talked about lawsuits. I want to talk about lobbying. And to me, I get the sense in my experience that companies just want shit to go away. They, they yeah. want to put head <laughs> in the sand, like, let's just let and this it, play out. And to me, it feels like a federal law would just solve this whole issue. They could just say the feds, this is a federal law, like yep. our hands are, you know, our hands are washed of this. Do you see any signs of lobbying by either the commercial interests or uh, agencies in, in D.C., like pushing some sort of a law, whether it's a right leaning or left leaning? It feels like a federal law would clear everybody of wrongdoing and that they should be pushing that. Are you seeing any any evidence of that or would you recommend that to companies? I'm not seeing a whole lot of evidence of that, but granted, I've been on sabbatical for too much, so I try not to pay too much attention to politics here in the States. Good for you. Um, <laughs> I didn't want to ruin my vacation. Yes. Um, but I, th- I think what will happen again is as these employees start to push their employers, um, it's going to, again, for lack of a better word, be a ripple effect where the employers are saying, help us. We're trying to solve this problem. We don't know what to do. We need some guidance from federal government. Help us solve this problem in a way that's fair and equitable to our employees, that doesn't put us out of alignment with our competitors, and that we don't have to worry about anymore, right? Because to mm-hmm. your point, we can point the finger at it's not us, it's them. Mm-hmm. So I am hopeful. And again, they are still looking at codifying this, and you know, it's just a matter of time, hopefully, before it gets back on the books and yeah. makes its way through the court system. 
But I, I do know that it's, it's out there, right? They're still trying to get it done. Will it happen in my lifetime? I hope so. You know, uh, again, I think the we have younger people working in government as well. And they're speaking to the people that they work for. They're, yeah. you know, more senior politicians and hopefully pushing the agenda, pushing the conversation and letting them know how important this is. Because what I don't want them to do is get distracted by all the other stuff that's going on and mm-hmm. just forget all about Roe v. Wade. And it's like, oh, you know, it's kind of what happened this time. It's like, how could you have not had this as an important topic to codify this years ago? Like, yes. why is you waiting until now? Like, the, the the Republicans played the long game on this, and they won. Yes. Right? Yes. Started with the Supreme Court justices that they got in place. Mm. And that agenda behind them is saying, this is important to us. We need to get this passed as soon as we can. And they did it. We did not play the long game. We took our eye off the ball. We being, I'm going to say, Democrats, even though I'm an independent. So that's what I think happened. Now I'm hoping that we don't lose sight of that anymore. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you out on this. I'm going to ask you to take your rose-colored glasses off and not what you hope happens, but in five years, where is this issue going to be? Are you familiar with The Handmaid's Tale? Yes. Yes. <laughs> is that that's where we're what, going? That's where we're heading. In my heart of hearts. In my heart of hearts. Seriously. Like, I, I tell my friends, I tell my clients, I'm like, are you familiar with Handmaid's Tale? Like, that's where we're going. Like, just wrap your heads around that because it's happening. It's happening Ooh. again because the long game is being played. And this is where it's heading. Wow. Bring us back, Chad. Bring us back up. <laughs> Doctor, I, I, I can't. I can't. I, I'm go, <laughs> we're going to finish up on that one because that, to me, will settle in to all of our listeners and make them think. Dr. Yeah. Tana M. Sessions, thank you so much for coming on the show. We appreciate it, especially just coming right back from your sabbatical. You you get thrown to the wolves, the Chad and Cheese wolves. <laughs> if more people want to find out more about you, and I know you do speaking, consulting, those types of things, where can they connect with you? Sure. The best place will be my website, TanaMSession.com. Um, I'm also very, very active on LinkedIn. So a lot of people find me there. So Dr. Tana M. Session at LinkedIn and on Instagram and Facebook. I'm no longer on Twitter. So those are the places. But first, foremost, website. There's a contact me site there. My team takes you know very good care of people who uh, put in submission requests. And then again, on LinkedIn as well. Chad, I'm going to do my best to get myself off the ledge after her last <laughs> comment. <laughs> Dr. Tana, thanks for joining us, Chad. That's another one in the books. We out. We out. Wow. Look at you. You made it through an entire episode of the Chad and Chase podcast. Or maybe you cheated and fast-forwarded to the end. Either way, there's no doubt you wish you had that time back. Valuable time you could have used to buy a nutritious meal at Taco Bell, enjoy a pour of your favorite whiskey, or just watch big booty Latinas and bug fights on TikTok. No, you hung out with these two chuggleheads instead. Now go take a shower and wash off all the guilt. But save some soap, because you'll be back. Like an awful train wreck, you can't look away. And like Chad's favorite western, you can't quit them either. We out. How much do you understand the future of finance? I'm Jim Roos, a top 10 banking influencer and host of the podcast Banking Transformed, where we dive deeply into the rapidly evolving world of banking and financial technology. Join me as I interview industry experts, thought leaders, and innovators as they unravel the latest banking trends, disruptions, and game-changing technologies reshaping the world of finance. Redefine your understanding of the banking ecosystem. Subscribe now to Banking Transformed, available wherever you get your podcasts and now available on YouTube.